Welcome, podcast friends. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Last year, we brought listeners the entire volume of the Best Investment Writing Volume 3 in audio format right here on the podcast. Listeners loved it, so we're running it back again this year for the Best Investment Writing Volume 4. You'll hear from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers from all over the planet. Hi, this is Benir Bansali. I'm the founder and CIO of Longtail Alpha. We are a manager in Newport Beach, California, and we focus mostly on tail risk-related strategies. And uh, Meb Faber and I have spoken a few times about markets and the various opportunities that you get when things get too distorted. You can find us at longtailalpha.com. And I also have a couple of books, one of them being on tail risk hedging. I started with a background in theoretical physics and then went on to do analytics and portfolio management at PIMCO before starting Longtail Alpha in 2015. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a piece related to negatively yielding bonds. It was published in Forbes.com on June 17, 2019, and the title was Trading Sardines, the Case of Currency Hedge Negatively Yielding Bonds. So here it is. You might have heard the story about these three traders who decided to go into the business of trading sardines. By the way, this is an old Wall Street story, so I'm retelling it with some embellishments. The first trader bought a can of sardines for $5. Then he went and sold the same can of sardines to the second trader for $10, doubling his money in the process. The second trader again doubled his money by selling the can of sardines to the third trader for $20. Now, the third trader, who was pretty smart, and he knew that he was overpaying for the sardines, said to himself, well, you know, I'm going to buy it for this high price, but if the markets for sardines crashed, at least I will have a can of sardines to eat, so I'll just open it and eat it. Well, the market did crash, and he opened the can to find out that the sardines were rotten. So he probably went to the trader who had sold him that bad can of sardines and said, these sardines are no good to obviously, which the second trader responded, of course, they're no good for eating. They are trading sardines. So you might have heard this. And how does it apply to bond markets? So let's get into that now. Almost $10 trillion worth of the world's government bonds, when I wrote this, were trading at negative yields. Now it's probably closer to $20 trillion. And with the Fed and other central banks pumping in a lot of money into the system, it's possible that yields might go even further negative on a lot of the bond markets that are out there. So these bond markets are trading like these sardines. When a bond has negative yield, like a majority of these bond markets in Germany and Japan do today, the bonds are really being bought for trading, not for holding as investments. Unless we somehow undertake some sort of financial alchemy to figuratively turn this garbage into gold or vice versa, gold into garbage. Now, when if yields rise, a 10-year German Bund that is trading close to negative 40 basis points, when I wrote this paper, negative 25 basis points, nominal yield, will almost certainly lose a good part of its principal. And for those who hold it to maturity, it will also provide absolutely no income for their investment because they're paying money to hold this bond. In addition to parting with their principal, they're also paying 
effectively a coupon to hold this bond. So in other words, unless the current holders of these bonds are able to trade them to someone else before they lose value, they will likely find that these bonds were neither a good term investment nor a diversifier and not a provider of any sort of return. So now let's turn to the financial, financial alchemy that in the short run can potentially turn these negatively yielding bonds into positively yielding bonds. So readers know that due to interest rate parity, a currency with lower interest rates trades at a higher exchange rate in the future. For instance, if you look at the exchange rate versus the euro or the US dollar, the implied forward exchange rate is very much tradable because you can change the forward exchange rate as a swap or just as a one shot forward is basically calculated based on the interest rate differential times the basis swap. And it's about, at the writing of this paper, it was about three cents per euro higher than the spot exchange rate. So the euro was trading at a premium to the US dollar because the euro interest rates were so much lower than the US interest rates. And again, the source for all of this data is from the Bloomberg taken at that time and then again recently. The implied forward exchange rate for any pair of currencies is thus determined by the spot exchange rate, the differential of the money market rates or whatever the tenor is, and the cross-currency basis swap, which essentially measures the supply and demand mismatch for the two currencies. Now for this discussion, we'll just ignore the basis swap. It's small and it's variable. Sometimes it can get large, but we don't really care for this discussion because we want to focus on the important features. The only thing that the listener needs to know now is that if he or she buys a German Bund at a negative yield, that let's say of 25 basis points, then if he hedges the currency risk by selling the euro currency forward to convert the proceeds over the hedge horizon into dollars, he is selling the forward exchange rate at a higher price than the spot exchange rate. So the difference between the forward exchange rate and the spot exchange rate can then be considered as an additional yield or carry that's actually coming from the hedge. So even though the bond has negative yield, the hedge creates a positive carry. Now, in the example that I gave you where the differential is 3%, this forward currency hedging generates 3% yield. So you take 3% and add it to the negative 25 basis points and Voila, you've got a negatively yielding 10-year German boon now yielding positive 2.75% for a U.S. investor. Similarly, a three-month German boon yielding negative 50 basis points will become a 2.5% hedging yield in this example. And a two-year boon will become, as of that writing, 2.3%. Now, yields have compressed quite a bit. The interest rate differential has compressed quite a bit since then. But many of these uh, arithmetic calculations still hold. In other words, you can still turn negatively yielding bonds into positively yielding bonds just through the act of hedging. Now, look at it from the perspective of a euro-based investor. The act of hedging the currency risk reduces the yield of a 10-year maturity treasury note to negative 83 basis points. So a positively yielding bond at that time, positively yield yielding US treasury note, turns into a negatively yielding treasury note once you hedge it. In other words, it converts a positively US yield to negatively yields for a US for a euro-based investor. Okay, so the chart in the paper that's on Forbes 
you can see the various combinations for the US, Euro, and Japanese 10-year maturity government bonds from the perspective of investors in all these different currencies and countries. So even though every country in this list has a much lower unhedged yield than the US Treasury, and here I had a loan exception being Italy, which we'll also address in a second, the hedge yield for every country's bond is higher than the yield of the US 10-year Treasury. This is an example of the carry trade at its finest and potentially at its most dangerous. By taking a long-term low-yielding asset and by using a derivative contract, the low yield is now turned into a high yield temporarily and vice versa. Now, the state of affairs where the U.S. Treasury's lower hedge yield than any other country is not completely an accident. Global central banks are easing policy pretty aggressively. And as of this writing, the U.S. had not eased policy aggressively. Subsequently, it has eased policy quite substantially, like I commented on during that write-up. And in the post-COVID environment, yields have indeed in the U.S. been cut quite drastically. Now, the lower policy rates in foreign countries result in carry benefits both in their internal market and also in the external market. So let's get into that for a second. For example, in Europe, very negatively yielding short-term yields. For example, short-term yields went down to about, I think, negative 90 basis points, result in positive carry even for a 10-year bond at negative 25 basis points for internal European buyers, such as indexers or banks in Europe. This is because if they buy a bond at negative 0.25, then with a fixed yield curve shape, the bond rolls down towards the more negative, shorter term yield, which results in a positive total return. So even though the yield itself is negative, the roll down and carry result in a positive expected return. Now, the increasing target two deficits, that's the balance of the central banks between the Italian central bank and the, and the German central bank, and others are indeed a symptom of the fact that money is being recycled from Italy back into German boons, presumably because despite negative yields, the carry and safety of being in boons is worth the risk to Italian holders of euros and of Italian bonds. And obviously, the haircut on boons is much lower. So the boons can be used for repo and for other financing operations. In addition, by reducing short-term interest rates and the consequent application of the covered interest rate parity relationship, the central banks are also encouraging, unknowingly possibly, the kind of speculation that has been discussed just a few minutes ago, that by external buying of negatively yielding assets and converting them to positively yielding assets, you're allowing for external arbitrage. Now, this state of affairs is not the first time. It might sound unique, but it has a very classic life cycle, and it is deeply related to other forms of carry trades. The currency carry trade is also very deeply related to the volatility in currencies and other asset classes. And I wrote a paper in the Journal of Fixed Income on this topic a few years ago. The fact that currency volatility has remained incredibly low over the last decade has mitigated, so far, forced unwinds of leverage in this carry trade. But the question is, can it last indefinitely? And currency volatility is extremely low, so people think that there is no risk in currency carry trades. But as we know, when it unwinds, it unwinds in a very rapid and uncontrolled fashion. 
Now, one scenario in which currency volatility can rise sharply is a hiccup in risk assets that results in a rush into US fixed income assets for just protection of portfolios or due to an aggressive rate cut by the Fed. So I didn't know this when I wrote the paper, but since then the Fed has slashed rates all the way back down to zero. This would result in a substantial narrowing of the interest rate differential between US rates and foreign rates, assuming that European rates don't go further negative or even start rising at the same speed. So this results in a very sharp fall in the forward exchange rate. And this scenario could create a much lower yield pickup when the currency hedges are rolled forward, resulting in much less demand for these negatively yielding foreign bonds at their already existing low yields. And to a certain degree, this happened, but the European Central Bank stepped in again to purchase a very large amount of those negatively yielding bonds. The other scenario, which is almost non-existent in the collective consciousness, is that it is possible that the European short rates can rise if there is a sharp rise or change in the philosophy of the ECB. Now, when I wrote this, Draghi was still the ECB president. Since then, the president has changed, and I had expected the policy to be somewhat more hawkish, but it turns out that the policy of Christy Lagarde is actually just as dovish, maybe even more so. So this scenario has clearly not worked out as I had anticipated. But if rates at some point start to rise for whatever reason, because of more issuance, increasing deficits, or some of the legal ramifications of the court judgment, of the judicial court judgment in uh, Germany, it is possible that short rates in Europe could start rising. And hence the pickup from the from the yield differential would be substantially narrowed. This is not a high probability forecast, but just a risk to be very aware of. Now let us apply the same analysis for a Japanese yen-based investor and then a euro-based investor. For a yen-based investor, the same table shows that US treasuries are the worst yield of a bunch on a hedge yield basis. They're actually very negative. So in this case, because of financial alchemy or anti-alchemy, this time gold, U.S. treasuries, is being converted into dirt. But the question then leads, uh, one, one led to is, should we prefer to buy U.S. 10-year treasuries at a yield of, at this time, 2.08% unhedged, or Italy at that time was 252 on a hedged basis? In the first case, if we had preferred to buy unhedged U.S. treasuries, we would be taking currency risk, but no credit risk. In the second case, if we are taking no currency risk, but we are taking a whole amount of Italian credit risk. In a late cycle environment, credit risk can be more dangerous than currency risk. For a European-based investor, France provides no yield and Italy provides the only other positive yield. Because of the hedging, the US is still again at the bottom of the whole yield curve across globe. What is not shown in this chart was that for a US-based investor, but as fact was true, the longest duration German booms, which at the time of the writing was 32 basis points, currently they're actually close to 0%, actually yielded 3.3%. Currently, they'll be yielding much less than that. And for a Euro investor, the 30-year US bond would only yield negative 35 basis points. In other words, even as monetary policy was easy, 
investors would be tempted by the yields in the longest, most duration sensitive part of the yield curve, primarily because of the currency hedge carry. So finally, putting it all together, the point is this. Whenever there's a type of alchemy that turns high into low and low into high, secondly, it uses a yield curve mismatch. Third, it is exposed to shocks to volatility. Fourth, it uses a derivative contract that needs to be continuously rolled. And fifth, it depends on central bank policy for survival of its benefits and returns and so on. One should get really, really cautious and careful. And in the case of the global government bond market, the currency hedging tail is indeed wagging the so-called bond dog. Just like yield curve inversions within one currency can cause mayhem to bond markets by upsetting the carry arbitrage between maturities, which is a very common trade, the sudden collapse in interest rate differentials, upward shocks to volatility or to forward exchange rates between two different currencies can create the same sort of chaos in those currency markets and currency option markets. It is frequently said there are no bad bonds, only bad prices. And the currency hedged bond markets are a great example of how trading sardines are being created in the global bond markets. Thank you very much for listening. And you can find the blog post on my Forbes.com blog. Thank you.